From Lo-Fi Arts, this is Refigure with Chris and Reefer. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of... Culture. Tech. And diversity. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How's your week been? It's been really nice. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm Reefa. And I'm Chris. Welcome to the show. Sort of hamming it this week, aren't you, Chris? I'm just a little bit tired and deranged. Not in a bad way, but... So what's first? So let's do post bag. Shall I sound the klaxon? Yeah. Whoop, whoop. No. Whoop, whoop. No. Is the sound... Brap, brap, brap. No, 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 no. How does it go? We need our own noise that no one else uses. What's the shooting one that they do? Pew! Pew, pew, pew! That's other people say. All right, okay. We've got to get our own. We need our own noise. We need like an HBO noise. Okay. Who's first in the post bag this week? The wonderful Mark Ollington. Oh, the legend that is Mark. Director of Tunbridge Angels Football Club, manager of Sir Jim of Bob, and general lovely man, very important in television, Mark Hollington, uh, sent us a couple of very lovely things. He's really enjoying it. He said, and I kind of took it to heart when he said it, that he's enjoying just us chatting and the fact that we're here more than the art stuff. He's not particularly interested in the culture that we talk about. Do you think that's a bad thing? I don't think so. I think it's nice to get people's different opinions. You can't please everyone. No, but he's been very nice. So we love you very much, Mark. You're awesome. I never saw the email, Mark, so I don't know what he said about us. If you're hearing slightly more background noise of cars going past than normal, it's because we've left our living room door open for when the food delivery arrives. No, people, that's what I mean. People like that stuff. No. Okay. Also, lovely Jo Kreese got in touch as well. Now, she said something really interesting about the Frida Kahlo exhibition, specifically the feeling you had when you were stood where Frida Kahlo was stood as she did the work. (laughs) That sense of really powerfully identifying with the painter. Joe Kreese felt exactly the same thing. Awesome. Thank you very much, Joe. So if you want to give us some feedback, you can contact us via Twitter. or Also, we've got an Instagram, which is Refigure UK. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash refigurepod. That's facebook.com slash refigurepod. Like, we're quite opinionated on this show. Uh, we'd love to hear more disagreements. So far, everyone's been completely nice to us and never disagreed with anything we've said. So if you disagree, that's totally cool. It'd be lovely to hear from you. And also, if you've got a suggestion of something that you'd like us to talk about, please get in touch because we're open to suggestions. Lewis McHale suggested something that he wanted us to watch on Netflix and wanted to get us our opinion. Did he? Oh, Lewis, thank you very much. That's really kind of you. That's our food delivery. We're pausing now. Yum, yum. Ready to go. So the first big proper thing we're talking about this week, and we have to talk about this really, is Killing Eve, the BBC America production created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the writer and star of Fleabag. And it's adapted from this series of novels by Luke Jennings about a hitman serial killer woman called Villanelle. 
and the series Killing Eve, it stars Sandra Oh as Eve Pulaski, who's this investigator who realises that there's one assassin who's doing loads of different hit jobs. And then it stars Jodie Comer, who's quite a new actor from Liverpool, who plays Villanelle, who is the assassin, and it's about their relationship. If you're listening in the United States, you've had this for a few weeks, I think. Our American friends have probably already seen it because it was out on BBC America first, even though it's a British-made show. Um, But the reason we're talking about it is it just popped up as a full box set on the BBC iPlayer this week. And oh my God. So, Reefa, what did you think of Killing Eve? I thought it was excellent. There's loads of strong female characters I found that all the characters are really well-rounded. They're all kind of multi-dimensional. Yeah. Also, like most things of this genre, normally you'd have in the first scenes or the first few scenes, you'd get uh, a woman assaulted or punched in the face or something awful happening to the woman. You know, I can't... I've lost count of the amount of thrillers that I've watched where the first scene is a mutilated female body or there's a mutilated female body in the in the middle of it. I didn't see any in this one, which is great. And I know it is a little bit um, silly in bits, but that's great too. There needs to be a bit of humour when you're doing this sort of work. If anyone was fans of Fleabag, then you'd know that that mix of, like, different emotions is what we all want. That's what's giving us the depth for all these programs. It's not just, uh, what's it called, uh, Miranda or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's not just a typical BBC one sitting, one living room sort of farce. These things have now got this richness and this depth and it's got so much money in it. And if you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, you will be super stoked that it's Sandra Oh as the lead character. And she is brilliant in it, isn't she? She's absolutely brilliant. And it's really dry and cool and funny what I love really what I love we'd had some Americans stay with us recently and they were taking the piss out of uh, London accents and going all in it and oh I'm just going to pop to the loo (laughs) and all this stuff and I just love that because when you've got um, a, a TV series that shows what London and England is really like right now right now not in 1960s London which Americans sometimes think it is like still I don't know you know not many Americans have got passports I really like that you know you see the inside of a calf and you see what offices in England are like and you see London looking a bit more sexy than normal but you also get transported to Paris and Berlin and it's all spy stuff and it's a woman scaling a wall it's brilliant it's really good fun Sometimes I thought it was almost spoofing because it plays with lots of the tropes of the spy thriller. And yet, at the same time, the world feels convincingly drawn. They are in a real world the whole time. There are lots of people around that aren't involved in the story. It doesn't feel like an empty space. It feels populated. And the script is so good. And the jokes are so good. So she is able to jump really fast from something really dark and serious into stupid, brilliant comedy. And I know people think, oh, things are changing. We've got more women writers than ever. But there's still only a couple of directors making films, for example, in the States. Major directors. There's one in the UK, I think, or two. And just to have women writing, women acting in it, it's really important that people see this stuff. It's really important to have heroines that are not always pure and good 
and villains that aren't always completely villainous and um, there are bits in it where you don't know who to root for and what's going on but they quickly make you fall in love with the characters all of them straight away which is just brilliant writing you could have a couple of spin-off series off this and also what a joy to see fiona shaw on the telly properly with a, a role to get her teeth into that's actually good I also love a naughty um, spy character, you know, like the film noirs or Modesty Blaze. That sort of thing is really, it's just really refreshing. The only thing I wish is that what if Fleabag had had a little cameo in it? That would have been brilliant. It's not a plot spoiler, but there's a really elderly lady at the very end who's very small, so she's clearly not Phoebe Waller-Bridge. But just for a minute, I thought it was Phoebe Waller-Bridge doing a makeup cameo-like Donald Glover does in Atlanta. No, but it's not anything her. like no. no, well, I thought it was like a joke. Anyway. You're right. If Fleabag had literally just walked past carrying some milk or something, that would have been brilliant. I'll tell you what. What's good about it is it doesn't look BBC. It doesn't look like it's been shot in a studio. The light in it is beautiful. The settings are beautiful. There's a bit in Italy as well. That was just really romantic but nasty as well. It's like watching a James Bond as well, but the James Bond that you'd really want with female characters in it. Well, you're right to name check Modesty Plays because Villanelle, the assassin, she's got a little bit of that, of being incredibly competent at her job, especially at the beginning. She is like, or a bit like Leon. She's like a super assassin. That is really exciting. And she's genuinely frightening as well as it being funny. I don't want to give too much away, but she's you fear for everyone anywhere near her the whole time. So when you say the thing about the BBC, we're not going to talk about it too much and we're not going to get into a big moan, but the first thing we were going to watch that I've been so excited about for ages was Black Earth Rising, which is the new Hugo Blick show. I had huge expectations for Black Earth Rising, especially because if you've listened to a few of these podcasts you would have heard us talk quite a lot, quite often, about Michaela Cole and how brilliant she is. She's an extraordinary both actor and writer, and she's a fascinating presence. And her profile is right up because she did the old McTaggart lecture and all that stuff. And so I was so excited to see her play opposite Harriet Walter, and John Goodman is in Black Earth Rising as well. So the cast is just incredible. And we started watching it. It's got tons of BBC money. It's also about a really serious topic, the massacre in Rwanda and the aftermath of that, right? And it is shit. From the fucking word go, it is awful. Killing Eve lets you find out what's going on properly through showing you stuff or through you gradually interpreting why people are doing stuff. And it's not too obscure, it's not crazy, you know what's going on pretty quick, but they don't do that exposition thing. In the first pilot episode, of Black Earth Rising, the exposition is some of the worst, most clunky, mentioning how well-drawn Killing Eve is in terms of a populated world. The world is just empty, there's just nobody there. It's just a series of scenes with the lead characters in these isolated spots. It feels like, it's not even like an episode of Casualty, it felt like B-roll from like a student video about a hospital or something, and it's awful. So, I'm sorry, I've had a rant and I wasn't gonna have a rant, but, uh, don't watch Black Earth Rising unless you really want to, but it is terrible, takes itself so seriously, wastes such an opportunity of a really fascinating story from history, kind of raw material of the setup and the cast is fascinating. At one point you get John Goodman sitting on a step in London eating an ice cream. You've got that kind of material to play with. John Goodman can eat an ice cream and make you cry with laughter. I mean, he's so good 
and they completely waste it. Whereas in Killing Eve, you get like Fiona Shaw eating an ice cream and it's fucking awesome. Does she eat an ice cream? Who eats an ice cream in Killing right Eve? Right at the beginning, there's an ice cream scene. There's two of them eating an ice cream and it did make me think, oh, when John Goodman ate his ice cream in Black Earth Rising, it wasn't as good as this ice cream. I don't know. I just, I, I haven't got time to be uh, watching stuff that isn't good within the first five minutes. So yeah, I love Michaela Cole. I just found it. she just was shouting a lot for no reason, really. I didn't believe the characters. I didn't believe that they were even a mother and daughter. I know she's adopted right in it but I was like where's the affection it was really odd really really odd it felt like they just met Michaela Cole and Harriet Walter like two proper brilliant actors given this stuff to do together and it's clearly so badly written and so badly directed that they tell you what it was like it was like EastEnders mate (laughs) where they've had to quickly learn the lines the week before and what was the actor's name the the woman the main woman not Michaela the other oh Harriet Walter yeah she's she's having a little cry oh, and yeah. it was worse than Angie Watts from the eighties <laughs> that's so brutal Harriet Walter is like a proper I know it's legend. not their fault that's the way they've been directed she's a dame and everything I know but that's how they've been directed you can't you can only go with what you've got and also the light was really rubbish in lots of those scenes they did a whole bunch of stuff in the Congo and on the Rwanda Congo border where everything in it looked brand new. They'd literally not bothered rubbing any dirt on the Jeeps. There was a plane as well that looked like a model. All the um, African characters, Rwandan characters, like they were, everybody's clothes looked brand new as well. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Hopefully we'll see Michaela Cole in something amazing soon. And Killing Eve is possibly the best thing that's been on British telly this year. This month, certainly. <laughs> that's really good. So, Reefa, also this week, you did your big She Says event. How was that? It went down really well. We had about 250 people sign up. I've got a mailing list now of like 1,700 people in Brighton alone. Mostly women, because it's called She Says. That's the global group. And it was originally set up to help get more female designers up to creative director level in London. And I set up the Brighton branch back in 2011. I was just thinking, like, what makes a good event? Everybody seemed to have a good time. Um, I got people to introduce themselves to each other because when you're in a big old barn like the Salas Benny Theatre in Brighton, it can feel a bit impersonal. There's a bit of time where people can mill around and have drinks, have some nibbles and stuff, and the food was really good. I want it to be the atmosphere of a party, of something that I would like to go to, and that there is some networking, but that's not really what it's about in... It is 99% women as well, which is creates a whole different atmosphere and mostly women from the creative and digital industries. Sometimes people come just to meet the people that they met last time, but I only do them twice a year. And the main thing for gathering these women was because it was Brighton Digital Festival and that's going on all month. And I invited five speakers where they create a narrative around what they're doing at the moment. And they're all successful leaders in their own right. One was from the virtual reality world. One was from a hardcore coding world. One was from a mapping proper tech background. But they're all super glamorous. They're all interesting people in their own right. A couple of them are mums. They talked about where they came from, how they got there forks in the road the challenges that they had along the way but they kept it really light and buoyant so that it's not about banging on about the issues about the the fact that there's like 97 percent male 
dominated industry in the tech world, but about how you can be creative and innovative and continue working and enjoying different aspects of tech that can change the world, change bits of the world that you're interested in. Yeah, I had a great time. They all had a good time. Everyone had a fun and we went home. I wasn't really in a very good mood, so I wasn't going to come. <laughs> and, then, and then I sort of snuck in and just stood at the side and watched it and then snuck home again. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the best ones you've done. It was all filmed and then we had some photography as well. So, but the films will go up soon. What I absolutely loved was that one of our speakers brought her little girl with her who was five and her dad uh, looked after her while her mum, and she was super proud of her mum. Um, so that was fantastic. That was a great talk as well, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're all going to be online soon um, on my YouTube channel. What is your YouTube channel? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, where can slash... people find stuff about She Says? Because you don't actually have a website for it, do you? Because you're not allowed. No, there is a global com website that tells you about the event itself. There's also a Facebook group, which is She Says Bryson. So I'll whack the videos up on there. And also there is a Twitter, which is She Says Brighton. But you can also join the mailing list through the Facebook group. So the Facebook group is probably the best place. Yes. And that is facebook.com slash She Says Brighton. Excellent. This past week, I played a couple of shows where I played piano for my friend Barry. And I really enjoyed it, but it was an odd experience because I was kind of going to meet a band where I know some members of the band, but I didn't know some other members of the band. So walking into a rehearsal studio, having one rehearsal with a band, it was like an eight-piece outfit because it was a, well, just because it was a big band arrangement of Barry's album. He is an artist called Non-Canon, and he did an album last year. And these were the only times he was playing the whole album all the way through with the band. So I played some piano. I really enjoyed it. But one of the best bits about the experience was... I got driven from Brighton to Bristol and then back again by this chap, Alex Ball. We'd met once really briefly at a gig, but I didn't know him. He lives here in Brighton and he's actually at Saatchi full-time as a composer and music supervisor at Saatchi. So that was a real fascinating chance for me to meet someone who earns their proper salary for making music, but in a completely different way and in a completely different world from the way I used to earn my living from music. He is a master of the craft for making music. So he can make music that sounds really authentically like all different kinds of music. Because if you're going to do music for adverts, you have to be able to do that. And of course, he's also a composer and a songwriter of real quality. But it's really fascinating that he comes from a kind of arrangement point of view. And the reason I'm mentioning him is because he's got this great YouTube channel. And uh, we chatted loads. Actually, especially on the way back, we chatted loads because we got stuck behind an appalling accident on the M4 at about two in the morning and we were literally on the M4 not moving for 90 minutes so that added to our conversation time but I really want to flag up this great YouTube channel especially if you're interested in things like vintage synthesizers or arrangement of different music styles or film scores because all of those topics he is fantastic on and I can't believe it so I sort of fell down a hole of watching loads of his YouTubes he's really nice he did this brilliant series called 
the utterly spiffing guide to light music, which is like a deep, deep dive into arranging 1950s light music, all the different instruments, which is actually, I, I'd almost say any kind of musician should, should watch that kind of thing because you learn so much about the detailed craft of making music. And people like me, I've ignored that far too much through my whole career, but I actually really love it. He's got a series on analysing film scores, and he's also doing this in-depth history of the Prophet synthesizer, which is a really iconic, important synthesizer. Anyway, so check out on YouTube Alex Ball Music. And I also did have a lovely time playing piano again, which I don't do very often now. Nice. What are you reading for? 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 So... My book of the week is The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Arundhati Roy. Her last novel was The God of Small Things from 1997. She's written some non-fiction stuff since then. But this one is already uh, the number one Sunday Times bestseller. And it's got rave reviews. Everybody's absolutely loving this book. I've just started it and it ties in with uh, episode one when I was talking about um, the non-binary makeup stuff and we touched on like in India having those people who were gender fluid or non-binary they didn't use those terms then they called them something else but they were revered and were brought to weddings and parties and that's how uh, this story starts basically but I do know that it's going to evolve into a massive epic novel transcending time and space i think so if you're into magic realism check out um the ministry of utmost happiness if you like isabella allende's house of spirits or salman rushdie's shame this is definitely a book for you the person who lent it to me was jen Watley, because you know borrow a book if you can <laughs> i'm trying to wean myself off books apparently there's a term for people who continually obsessively buy books so every time i sort of do a bit of a clear out of our books weed out the books that I think we should go to the charity shop we literally gave six carrier bags full of books to the charity shop recently um, I couldn't be bothered to sell them on eBay then I just buy more <laughs> to fill the shelves so it's like That's a bloody true. library around here and I should everybody should be using their library anyway I borrowed this book from Jen and she had an interesting reaction to it she was saying to me that she didn't know much about the history of partition in India and how bloody it was and how a million people died because of it and uh yeah i mean that's what books are for novels are there to help educate us so yeah i, so I think i say that all the time <laughs> you know that podcast um mostly lit which is an excellent book podcast they interviewed her and they are all really young people of color based in london and I just loved, even now, where you've got, for example, in Arundhati Roy's case, an Indian woman who is an acclaimed, revered writer. She's still mostly going around the world on her book tour, probably being interviewed by middle-class white people. And so it was just such a refreshing, brilliant interview to hear interviewed by younger people. And an extra dimension of that is that it talks about a Muslim character and it's a Muslim setting. And it's so of its time now because if you've got young people struggling with trans issues as well they're not having a historical sort of context for any of it either feeling really isolated it's definitely been a, an eye-opener for for all kinds of people but certainly if you identify with any of those groups i mentioned then this is really i don't know 
it could really speak to you. So in the same way that I really want to, at some point in my life, I think in my late 20s, I really want you to know a bit more about my Mauritian heritage. Like how did all these people in my family end up in a remote island in the middle of the Indian Ocean? And how come on one side of my family they look a bit Chinese? How come they look Indian on the other side? What was the story? And the stories that are passed down through actual families often embellished or just downright fake. So there was a book by Amitav Ghosh uh, called The Sea of Poppies, a trilogy. And the first book is about how people left their homeland in India through the British coming in and destroying families. It helped me understand a bit more about my heritage through the means of a novel, through art, through those different stories. So we're done. We're actually going on a trip for this podcast next. So next week we'll probably be tech heavy because it's Brighton Digital Festival. So we'll probably talk about quite a few tech things. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just be normal. But the week after, we're going on a very glamorous uh, refigure podcast away day trip to Dundee. To go and see the new Victoria and Albert Museum in Dundee, which is extremely exciting because architecturally the building is stunning from what I've seen on Instagram. But also it's just a good excuse to go to Edinburgh and to Dundee. So if you've got any ideas of specific exhibitions or things that are on in Edinburgh, because that's where we're staying most of the time, get in touch and tell us and we'll we'll try and fit those in as well. But our main reason is to jump on a train up to Dundee and look at the VNA. It does look gorgeous, doesn't it? That building looks incredible. Art, mate, art. If you're enjoying the show, please give us a like wherever you're listening to this podcast and join us all over social media if you can find us. Thanks so much for listening. That was really fun. And we had Japanese food as well, so it was really good. Goodbye. Goodbye.